When Catherine was little and getting out of the car, going to school or someplace like that, I'd always say something like, make good choices. Sometimes it'd be have an adventure. Sometimes it'd be make good choices. But that's something that Paul is advising the Galatians here at the end of his letter to them. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, making good choices because God is not going to be deceived. He's not going to be mocked. You don't fool him, even when you think you are. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You're not going to fool anybody. When you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. When you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. That's just the way it is. Let's bow together. Father, sometimes we make good decisions and we don't see the benefits from them for years. And sometimes we make poor decisions and the results are immediate. Help us be wise. Help us to make good choices and good decisions, realizing that consequences of each are eternal. And to be faithful in what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a birthday in which you did not receive many cards or presents? In fact, maybe nobody except your spouse and parents, you didn't get any cards or presents at all. And it might have been troubling at first, and then it became depressing because nobody remembered your birthday. I've never really been that big on sending cards myself, and so it might not seem like a big deal when, in fact, it is a big deal. And it wasn't like you didn't hint around enough saying for two weeks in advance, well, you know, next Wednesday is my birthday, and I'll be turning 60. I sure hope nobody makes a big deal about it. And that's exactly what you're hoping somebody's going to do. And the more you talked about it, the less attention people paid. And then you realize that maybe you didn't get a lot of presents or a lot of cards because you didn't send a lot of cards. You didn't give a lot of presents. If you want to get cards, you need to send them. If you want to get presents, you need to give them. That's just a simple example of reaping what you sow. You want people to be nice to you, be nice to them. You want people to do things for you when you're sick? Do things for them when they're sick. Thomas Merton, that, a great um, writer of, of prayers and, and quiet contemplative thinking, said, we do not exist for ourselves. And when we realize that, we can finally begin to love others. We accept life as a gift and a good, not because of what it gives us, but because of what it enables us to give to others. Life is the opportunity to do something good for someone else. If a person ever really lives 
then they accept the gift of life and be willing to use it to benefit others. Because if you just use your life to benefit yourself and your own desires, you're wasting it. And it becomes a mockery to God. Because life has choices and choices have consequences. Sometimes the choices aren't always clear. Sometimes they're black and white. Sometimes they're gray. And not all the choices we make are the right ones, but one thing seems clear. The choices we make on the behalf of others reap the best results. When we sow seeds of joy, we reap a crop of happiness. I was talking about that this morning. When we sow seeds of discontent, we reap a crop of unhappiness. Charlie Brown was walking with Lucy and Snoopy in one of his comic strips. And in the first frame, Lucy is one of her philosophical moods, as she often is. And she says, sooner or later, Charlie Brown, there's one thing you're going to have to learn. And he says, what's that, Lucy? And she says, you reap what you sow. You get out of life exactly what you put into it, no more and no less. In the final frame, Snoopy is thinking about what Lucy has just said. And a bit forlorn, he says, I'd like to see a little more margin for error. Have you ever felt that way? Except for the grace of God, there is no margin. There is no escape. Life is what you make it. No more, no less. If you blunder your way through life, then you can full well expect painful consequences. If you strive to live for others and to serve God, you can expect to be happy yourself. Reaping what you sow is an idea that's been around for centuries. And in these verses from Galatians, the law of the harvest is applied to the Christian walk. If you're going to reap the eternal results of salvation, then you accept the life that God has given you through faith in Jesus Christ and live for him. There was a story about a tenant farmer who had worked hard for many years to improve the production of the land that he was working. Something happened that caused him to grow very bitter. When it was time to renew his lease, the owner came to him and said he was going to sell the farm to his son who was getting married. And the tenant made several offers to buy the land himself, but the owner's decision was made and it would not be reversed. As the day drew near for the farmer to vacate his home, the weeks of brooding finally got the best of him. And so he gathered seeds from some of the worst weeds he could find. And he spent hours sowing them in the clean, fertile soil of the farm, along with a lot of trash and stones he had collected over the years. But the next morning, the owner informed him that the plans, his son's plans for his wedding had fallen through, and he would be renewing the lease to the tenant. And he couldn't understand why the tenant exclaimed in agony, Oh Lord, what a fool I have been. Because what we sow, we will reap. If a person chooses to mock God, there will be results. A person mocks God when he thinks he can kick up his heels and sow his wild oats and not reap corruption. And the people who live their lives by the motto, you only go around once in life and you got to grab for all the gusto you can, will learn one day that there are consequences of those actions. One of my favorite stories is that of a farmer that lived right next door to the church. And his field went right up to the church, and he didn't have much respect for the church or for the Lord or for the pastor. 
And so he took particular delight in working his field on Sunday morning. And, and he would plow right up beside the church and know that the noise would be disrupting the fellowship and do everything he could just to aggravate and agitate the members of that church on Sunday morning. When fall came around, with the sun and the rain and the fertilizer he had put on the crop, he had a bumper crop. And so he ran into the pastor one day, and he was kind of mocking the pastor. He said, well, I guess your God doesn't have a lot of power. Look at this wonderful crop I've just harvested by working it on Sundays. And the pastor looked at the farmer and said, friend, God doesn't settle his accounts in October. And that's the way it is. We think we're getting away with something. But there are consequences. And we'll have to pay them one day. No one can continuously seek the pleasure of the flesh and not have tragic results. You, can, you cannot deny that painful consequences are coming. You don't spend your life in sowing wild oats and then pray for crop failure. You just can't do that. That's not going to happen. Somebody's going to have to pay for the consequences of your action, and guess who that is? It's going to be you. Yes, you can be forgiven for your sin. And I've had folks come into my office and say, I feel like I'm forgiven. But there are consequences of that sin that last forever. And don't think you can do this and, and there not be any consequences. There will always be consequences. You just may not see them immediately. The devil only portrays the fun side of sin. Sometimes I think about the devil hanging that bait in front of us and there's always a hook in the bait. Always a hook. Sin looks fun. Sin looks pleasurable, but it's only a short while because there's an ugly side that Satan has carefully hidden underneath the belly of the sin. And in the, referring to the consequences of sin, if it's heartache or disappointment and eventual death, there's a description. Do you remember the Bee Gees, that group that was so popular 20, 30 years ago? Andy Gibb and Barry Gibb and those guys. Andy was on the cover of People magazine years ago. He was a superstar at 19. He was the youngest. They called him the baby Bee Gee. And it was so much fame and money and, and notoriety that he just could not handle it. As so many young movie stars and, and actors and, and singers are discovering if they don't have some kind of foundation. Andy was a generous and likable kid, but he blew his fortune on cocaine and blamed his troubles on a breakup with Victoria Principal. Trying to make a comeback, he died bankrupt at the age of 30. You are mocking God if you believe that no matter how much you sow to the flesh, you can still reap from the Spirit. Your salvation is not immune to sin. It is supposed to deliver you from sin. When Paul wrote these words to the Galatians, he pointed out the kind of living that God calls for does not always produce quick and obvious results. It's something that you work toward over the long haul. Look around this evening. This is a generation that understands delayed gratification. You work long and hard in order to build something important. And your spiritual life is part of that. A lot of you here this evening have been Christians and followers of Jesus 
for a long time. And there is a depth and a foundation to your life that just does not happen over, overnight. Paul is writing the Galatians, those who practiced patience and humility, and they lived good and decent lives, but they had nothing to show for their efforts. And Paul points out to them this basic principle that God is to be taken at his word, that a person will one day reap what he sows, because if somebody's life is invested in the desires and concerns of the flesh, and the flesh only, that life will reap corruption. But if a life is invested in the things of God and the things of the Spirit, there'll be a harvest of eternal life. And those who become discouraged at the lack of a quick and visible result, Paul says, do not become weary in well-doing, verse 10. Verse 9, let us not be grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The Greek word for lose heart there is a beautiful word. I remember this from seminary. Um, some translations put it, we will, we will reap if we do not faint. And the word is sunstroke. We will reap if we do not have sunstroke. If we do not overheat in well-doing, if we do not lose heart, if we keep doing it, if we do not grow weary, we will reap if we do not lose heart. It may take a long time, but the Spirit of God produces fruit that He has promised. And Paul reminds the Galatians that the practical things is doing good to others, especially members who are the household of faith, will bear fruit and will reap eternal life. The fruit that will be produced will be in the process of becoming that which you have already sown. If you don't think you're a loving person, that's okay. Keep sowing loving seeds. If you don't think you're a kind person, that's okay. Keep sowing kind seeds. Love not what you are or what you have been, but think about what you might become in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, it's not who we are now that matters, the troubles that are faced, the difficulties that surround us. Keep our sights on the end results, he says, and love that which we are becoming through the grace of God, because that which we face might force us to face some tough times, but through it will be promised the fruit of happiness. When Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, he said it was every American's right to pursue happiness. But the Declaration of Independence is a political document. It doesn't warn us of the frustrations of trying to pursue happiness directly, because I think if you try to pursue happiness directly, you'll never get it. Pursuing happiness is the wrong goal. You don't become happy by pursuing it. You become happy by living your life as though it means something. You pursue happiness by living your life for something beyond yourself, outside of yourself. Because the happiest people I know and the happiest people you know are not the richest or the most famous. As a matter of fact, a lot of times money and fame interfere with happiness. Those who are the happiest are not the ones who work the hardest at being happy by buying more stuff and looking at magazines 
portraying the latest fads and go after them. The happiest people I know and that you know are the ones who work at being kind and helpful and faithful and serve others. Somehow, happiness sneaks into their lives through the back door while they're doing things for someone else. And this passage of Scripture tells us that every action has consequences. We just don't always see them immediately. Years ago, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book called When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. And in it he says this, you don't become happy by pursuing happiness. It is always a byproduct, never a primary goal. Happiness is like a butterfly and the more you chase it, the more it flies away from you and hides. So stop chasing it and put away your net and busy yourself with other more productive things than the pursuit of personal happiness. And it will sneak up on you from behind and perch on your shoulder. Rabbi Harold Kirshner, wise man. So if you want to be a happy person, and I believe every one of us here this evening and watching by television can be happy, despite our circumstances, those are inconsequential. I believe we can choose to be happy by sowing seeds of happiness, not in ourselves, but in others. And when you bring others' happiness, lo and behold, you benefit from it too. We aren't put here besides so many other people to simply seek our own selfish happiness. We are to serve those around us in Jesus' name and not grow weary, not get sunstroke in well-doing. For in such a way, we actually stumble upon happiness for ourselves. So even though each of us is an individual, we are a combination of a lot of forces around us. And who we are has a lot been determined by our family, our society, our education, our friends, and ultimately God. And all these forces have combined into our lives to make us who we are. But they've also brought some complications and frustrations and contradictions that make demands on us. And so we have the God-given freedom to choose what we'll do with it. We can choose to be who we are. We can choose to be different. We can choose to be argumentative or obstinate or unhappy. We can choose in another way to be at peace with God and our fellow man. And the choice is ours to have a spirit of love and forgiveness like I mentioned this morning for our brothers and sisters or we can ignore them in the midst of their need. Two people in identical circumstances can react diametrically differently. It depends on what seed you've been sowing along the way. Because if we're ever going to be the kind of people that God created us to be, we have to go out and sow seeds to the Spirit. Because if we sow to the flesh, we're going to make ourselves and everyone around us miserable. And as we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap the high calling of God. And it'll be evident who He created us to be. So if you're unhappy with the person you are tonight, 
I'll bet there are those around you who are unhappy with who you are too. Why have you become that way? If you're unhappy, if you're lonely, if you don't feel good about the things around you, what have you done to get to that point in your life? Whatever it is, whatever you've done, it's not too late to change. And don't say it's out of your hands, it's out of your control, because it's not. You're not powerless. You have control. You can be anything you want to be that God created you to be. So sow some seeds to the Spirit. And from the Spirit, reap eternal life. You may not see it immediately. It might take a while for that seed to to sprout, to germinate and sprout and grow and blossom. But it will come. And along the way, you may just discover some happiness. And I think that's what God wants for us. You know, it's been my theme from the very beginning. God loves you. God created you. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to make good choices. He wants you to sow seeds to the Spirit. And from the Spirit, reap eternal life. He does not want you to sow to the flesh. And from the flesh, reap corruption. Because He knows the pain of those choices and the consequences that will result. He wants what's best for you. And he's laid it out in that relationship. If you'll believe him and follow him and live for him. Let's bow together. Father, some folks here tonight are mighty good people. And they've been serving you a long time. And yet they're going through hardship and heartache right now. And the the benefits, the fruit of their labors is not immediately visible. And I just ask that you would encourage them. Father, help them not to grow weary in well-doing. But to continue sowing seeds to the Spirit. And continue reaping the good results. And there are folks here tonight watching by television who've been sowing seeds to the flesh and pursuing the the things of the flesh because it looks so inviting and so appealing and so fun. But unmask it for what it is, oh God, and help us to see it as the sin that it is and turn away from it because it too will have consequences that will be painful somewhere down the road. Help us reap a good crop that you have helped us sow yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.